0: one another up some of us are encouraging one another some of us are going out and building God's temple by adding more people that don't yet know Jesus and also perfecting the people who are already in the temple and they know Jesus but some of us rather than building God's temple we are building our own towers Rather than building what God wants us to build, we are building our own dreams and hopes and careers, and it's all about the project of the self. In fact, you might be a Christian, and you're building your Christian uh, project of the self exactly what you would have wanted to do before you come to know Jesus, and now it's exactly the same thing, but you're doing it under the banner of Christianity. But it's all about me, and it's all about you. And God is inviting us, God is inviting us to take off the hat of building ourselves up, our own uh, self-ambitious pursuit of life and become selfless and, and, and build up what God wants to be done in the world. You see, even in this church, and you probably know people like that, who are already doing that young and old, people who are who are uh, new to Christianity and people who have been Christians for a long time, people in this place are building one another up. You know these people. They, some of them I know who have got their own very difficult challenges, but they go over and above the call of duty to invest in other people around them. We've got people, young people who are uh, teenagers who are investing in younger people who are A a little bit younger than them. In fact, uh, last uh, Monday, one of uh, our volunteer pastors, Pastor Brian, turned 86. Turned 8, I thought 85, but he turned 86 last Monday. He volunteers a day a week, and he definitely does far more than a day a week, reaching out to people, building people up, encouraging people. You know what? From young to old. People are building one another up. And it all comes back to the idea of what metaphor, what types of a paradigm shapes your idea of the world and your own life. And even from a young age, we have had a particular metaphor that guided our pursuits in life. For me as a a young kid, all that I thought of life, it was a soccer club. The reality for me was waking up before 7 o'clock in the morning, we went down the road, about 15 minutes down the road, and we had training in the morning, running and exercises, and then we'll play together as, as friends, and then we'll have lunch together, and, and then we'll go play tournaments at night. And life was one big party it was a fun environment with friends and 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 uh, and people you know that that you, uh, you enjoy their company and would save our money at the time i had 25 piesters or 25 cents was my weekly pocket money and uh, we would save as much of that money as we can so that once a month we would go out and 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 uh, you know lavish on some takeaway food and it was quite amazing that the company makes even the, the silliest of food that you probably wouldn't eat it if you give them for free, makes it so luxurious, you know, it's just because of the friendship around you. However, when I at the end of year seven, and before year eight in Egypt, for you who, who haven't been to Egypt, uh, we actually have four months of summer break. It's it's pretty amazing. I know you're all jealous, uh, but in Egypt, we had a long summer break, and it's sunny and beautiful. I'm not too Teasing you, but it's just amazing experience. So uh, at the end of year seven, I decided I'm going to uh, spend the next four months being an apprentice electrician because one of the um, um, the guys at our church was an electrician. His name was Gerges, and uh, and he had a beautiful motorcycle and he would zoom like so fast. And I thought I want some of that. So I said, Matt, can I can I work for you? So here, make my that. Yeah, here come on board. Uh, in Egypt, there's no helmets, there's no, and, 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 and there's no safety. So I would just basically hold on to his waist, and we go like crazy. He'll pick me up, uh, be, be, you know, 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning. And he, the, I remember up till this day, honestly, I still remember the first day of the apprenticeship. Obviously, it wasn't an apprenticeship. It was just, a, a, what do you call it, a, um, soft light, and, um, uh, cheap labor, you know, child labor. So um, uh, he took me on, on the back of his uh, motorcycle and he took us to some godforsaken place, a big apartment uh, in Egypt just being built. And he took me to a particular apartment and he, uh, and he lined the wall. You know, in Egypt, the walls are not like here. It's, it's not the clumsy, you know, plaster something. We had brick walls, and it all gets rendered, okay? The only problem is they, they render and do all of that before they've put the electrical pipes in, the wiring in. <laughs> what? I have no idea. That's Egypt for you. But uh, he said to me, we need to uh, chisel, um, you know, almost like a drill, but it's not, we didn't have drills back those days. You had a sledgehammer and, and, a, and a pipe, you know, those chisel things. And he would chisel around the wall, uh, all around the wall so he could and, and dig deeper so, or chisel deeper so he can put electrical wires or electrical pipes in there. he says, here is the start point. And he banged on the wall and bang in that time there was a, a huge hole in there. And he said, you're going to need to do all that, that part and that part. And he just, he said, make sure it's straight line. I said, no, no problem. And he left me with uh, the chisel and a couple of sledgehammers no. You know, you worry about induction? There was no such thing as induction. There was no OH&S procedures. There wasn't even water. I didn't have, you know, when you're hammering the wall, you didn't even have those glasses to protect. There was nothing. I didn't have food. I didn't have a key to get out of the apartment if I felt sick of it. I, I didn't even know which suburbs we, we were in. I was in grade seven, for crying out loud. and, uh, and, I looked at the tools he left me. Yes, that's when I, back then when I had muscles. Uh, it's old age, sorry. Uh, but uh, uh, I, I looked at the tools. I looked at the hammer and the chisel, a l- double take on my muscles. I thought, like, how am I going to do that? But I went for it anyway. And I had no idea what time he was going to come back eventually he turned up. I don't know how far I've done. I honestly don't remember how far I did. But he, he, you know, we put the pipes together and, and by around 7.30 or so, he shouted me, dinner, you know. Kind of him, and he gave me one buck. Imagine that I had one buck, one dollar. It was like I was the richest kid in town that day. And he dropped me off at church for the soccer club. Uh, You know, all my friends just been enjoying themselves all day, and I've been working the only silly guy that was working all day. And uh, obviously, went home late at night to do the same thing again the second day. But boy, oh boy, I thought I'm going to be able to sleep like, you know. All night. Well, I couldn't even last an hour. And my hands were absolutely aching. I wake up out of the pain, blisters all around here. And obviously, because I've never had a you know held a hammer and a chisel before, I get you know few on the chisel and few on my knuckles. So by the time I wake up, I was in deep pain. Is it any wonder why none of my silly friends engage in that type of activity? They all, they weren't that dumb. It was the only me. And I lasted the four months. Kid you not, I never did anything construction wise after that. Uh, but, you know, do you ever wonder why people don't engage in particular projects? Do you ever wonder why people sometimes don't find the energy and the enthusiasm to engage in a building project? Well, I'm just going to tell you from my anecdotal references. Uh, n- n- this is not empirical research. This is just my ideas of what sometimes stop us from engaging in projects that we should be engaged in. Because you and I know that God wants you to be a builder, So why don't we do it? If we know God who has our best interest at heart, knows that this is good for us, but we don't do it, why don't we do it? It's not because we're nasty people. It's not because we intentionally and deliberately want to disobey God. But simply there are three things that I believe hinder us from being builders. Number one, the why. We don't have the motivation. Number two is our identity. We don't see ourselves as builders. And number three, sometimes like me, we don't have the competence. We don't know how to do it. And uh, in the next couple of weeks, obviously in the morning, I'll look after the who and the how. But today, if you allow me, in the next few minutes we've got together, I want to address the idea of the motivation because it's a big, big deal. And you know what? If you're not a, a Christian, If you're not a follower of Jesus, this still will apply to you because all of us will encounter projects in life where we need the motivation, but particularly if you're a follower of Jesus, this is especially profound for you. You know why? Because some of you here tonight actually have the desire to be uh, aligned to God's will for your life. But you lack the motivation, the enthusiasm, and the energy. And if that's you, I want to give you some ideas of what are the factors that hinder your motivation. But for some of us, you already know that it is worth the energy and the effort you're already motivated and you probably want to come up here and say, I vouch for that. I am motivated about giving my entire life for the building project, the construction project of God. And, and you want to encourage everybody else around you. And you know what it's like to do the work of God with every fiber of your being. For others of us, we were there. We were, you know, maybe when we first came to know Jesus or at one particular moment of life, we were so motivated about building God's temple, about blessing other people around us, about reaching out to the lost who don't know Jesus. And we were fired up, but our energy have waned over the years. And I want to remind you of why you initially were were motivated. And if that wasn't the right motivation, I want you to read. Uh, conceive a biblical framework for your motivation. And some of us are not really engaged in the building of God's business. We're just Christians, and we enjoy God's blessing, but we're not really engaged in building others up. And you know, I want today to show you three reasons, three hindrances that keep us from doing our God-given project. The first one is hard work. The reason you and I are not engaged in God's business is because it's hard work. The truth is this, you have never accomplished anything of significance that wasn't hard work. And in God's business, is no different. The second reason why you and I don't engage in God's business is because there's hardships attached to, to being involved in God's work. And for some of us, we know what those hardships Ah, but for others, you know the heartache that's involved when relationships or when people views or when approval of others or when 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 when, when people betray you, whatever it might be, you understand the heartache that usually comes with the package of doing stuff that are of eternal ramification for God. And there is no one that has had that they The experiences, the three hairy experiences of ministry of your life, the hard work and the hardship and the heartache, like the Apostle Paul of old. The Apostle Paul was one of the most profound leaders, teachers, preachers, uh, missionaries that existed in Christianity. And, uh, and, and he would go to churches or, or to pagan areas and he would establish churches down there. One of those areas were Corinth. And in that uh, area, uh, in Corinth, he established a church and stayed with them for 18 months to teach him. Uh, the foundational truth of God's word, and uh, a little while later, he discovered few problems that uh, that provoked him to write different letters. We've got only two of them, but most scholars say there were at least four letters called the Cor- the, Cor- the Corinthian correspondence, and in it, the primary motivation for writing those letters is to deal with the problems that Paul noticed in the church, and primarily problems related to his relationship with these people that were supposed to admire, respect, and appreciate what this apostle have done for them. So Paul, all of a sudden, finds himself with a group of people that say to him, you are not an authentic apostle. They say to him that your ministry is not of value because when you're when you far away, your letters are weighty, but when you come here, uh, you're like, uh, you, you lack eloquence. And some of them became followers or associated with Apollos. Some said we're affiliated with Cephas or, or people that came from Jerusalem who came with letters of authority from the church in Jerusalem. Some others said no, no, we're affiliated with Paul. And there were factions in the church and that is the first thing Paul addresses. Because he's saying to them, what's Going on, you are all of the sudden created a division, and you divorced yourself from me as as your father in the faith for no apparent reason. And then in 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 Corinthians in the second Corinthians, I'll just read you something to to understand the Corinthian. Um, correspondence overall he writes to them in second Corinthians chapter 11 exactly about the different things that he has experienced as a result of his engagement with them in ministry and building the people of god he says in verse 23 he says are they servants the people that they were comparing Paul to that what we, we call in in in, uh, in that literature is the super apostles like they they were like better than him and he says are they servants of Christ. I'm out of my mind to talk like this, but I am more. I have worked much harder. That's the first thing. Ministry is about hard work. Building is about hard work. Working with God is about hard work. You know, the first myth that the enemy will give you is that if you collaborate with God, in building other people up, this should be a divinely easy process. It is nothing further from the truth. And if we enter with the idea of ease, we're confronted with the first hindrance that working with God and for people's benefit is actually hard work. And then he says, Paul, uh, and we're probably never going to experience that, but Paul says, being in prison more frequently, being flogged more severely, Been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was belted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from, uh, you know, he goes on and on. And then in verse 27, he says, I have labored, and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked besides everything else. I've, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches who is weak and I do not feel weak, who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn. And in this particular passage, we see the three hindrances that can make lesser people than Paul quit building, quit engaging, quit participating in God's plan for you and I of building the people of God up and building the temple of Jesus through outsiders and perfecting the insiders. And one of the hardest things would have been for Paul, as he says there, if he was building his own life and other people falter and fail, he will have no problem, no concern. But because he's concerned for other people, every time someone is weak, he feels weak. Every time someone is failing, he burns, he says. And there was the roller coaster emotions. When people are going well with God, he says about them, You are my joy. You are my crown. You are my glory in the day of the Lord. And then when they're doing not so well, there's anguish. And the relationship even that he has with them gets sabotaged by the attack of the enemy. Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. In the next slide. In Moby chapter 3, 2 Corinthians 3, it says, yeah, 2 Corinthians 3, sorry about that. It says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? It was like he, was, he, he needed to prove himself to the church. It was just mad. He needed to prove himself to the church that he founded, that without his ministry, they will be basically condemned for eternity. And he says, do you need us to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation? The letters of recommendations were letters to prove that somebody is valid and authentic. Imagine that. Paul, who founded the church, is now uh, considered an unreliable source, that he needed somebody else to vouch for his integrity. How much brokenness would he have felt? How broken? And then he says to them in 2 Corinthians 6, he says, we, uh, We are not withholding our affections from you, but you are withholding yours from us. He's experienced the heartache of building with God. If anybody, if anybody should have been hindered in a pursuit of being a builder for God, to bless other people who are who are non-Christians, who don't know Jesus, and to bless Christians who need to be perfected until more of Jesus oozes out of them. It would have been Paul and he would be justly uh, uh, um, he, he, he would have justly quitted and nobody could have a concern with him. Because it's been hard for him. So how could someone like that? How could someone like that keep on going? Not only does he keep on going, in First in Corinthians chapter 3, which is the first issue that he deals with, the issue of division, which most scholars tell us, it is the most profound, b- biblical best passage about the local church in the entire of the New Testament. So uh, keep your eyes open for that passage. But he deals with the idea of division. And he says to them, you are characterized by the flesh. The idea of being worldly means you're characterized by the flesh. You're acting like people who don't know Jesus. Why? Because you're jealous and you quarrel amongst yourself. And some of you say, I follow Paul. And another says, I follow Apollos. And, and, and there's division amongst you. In the midst of, of this uh, difficult background, Paul begins to tell them what the church and what the servants of God are like and what the builders are like. But most importantly, he tells them what motivates people to build for God. You know, if Paul was here, he would say, I want you back. I don't know whether you're building for God, you used to build for God, or you're busy or whatever it might be, but I want you back. Because there is one motivation. There is one motivation that should inspire you and should inspire me to do something. And he's about to tell us that. Look what he says in that same passage a little bit later. It says this. It says, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. So it's trying to tell him, don't focus on Apollos and Paul, but only God who makes things grow the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. We are co-workers, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. So don't worry about them. Don't judge them. They will be rewarded, whether it's me or Apollos or anybody else, for we are co-workers. We are co-builders in God's service. You are God's field. You are God's building. And here he's saying to them, all the Christians together collectively are God's building. God is doing something new. God is building. This is God's project. This is God's construction dream. This is God's intention for the world that he would build the followers of Jesus up. And then he goes and tells them what he did to lay the foundation. He says, by the grace of God, the grace that God has given me, I lay the foundation as a wise builder or as some other translation says, as an expert builder or a supervisor, whatever it might be, and someone else is building on it. But each, but each one should build with care. He's about to say to them that each of you should engage in God's project of building, but do it with care. And he's about to give us the reason The motivation that should make us stand up and listen. Look at what he says. He says, for no one can lay the foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. That every other ministry, ever, every other building, every other project must be laid on the free gift of Jesus Christ, on His substitutionary death, on His resurrection, on 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 His ascension to heaven, on sending the Holy Spirit for you and I, so that we endowed with power from on high. It says, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, they're the things that impact perishable or wood hay or straw which things are perishable their work their work will be shown will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light the day will bring it to light the day means the day of judgment It's a future experience when we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And each of us will be rewarded according to our own deeds. I understand we are all followers of Jesus based on the grace and the favor of God. You will go to heaven, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus have done. But you look throughout the New Testament, and Paul makes it clear that there is a future judgment of work that is as it says in revelation that we will go and our deeds will follow us it says that a star, a star differs from a star in glory that means each of us will be rewarded accordingly second corinthians chapter 5 verse 10 is one clear indication that you and i will be judged based on our works not To enter heaven, you enter heaven free by the blood of Jesus. But how you enter there, the the look of your heavenly Father as you come in, and they say, good and faithful, faithful involves faithfulness. It says, the day will bring it to light. The day will reveal it. Not what people think of what you've done. That can be revealed today but what God thinks of why you've done what you've done. Because your work, people can always judge it superficially, externally, but they can't judge the motive, why you're doing what you're doing. Only God can say that. It will be revealed with fire. Fire here is a refining fire. Obviously, it will burn the wood, hay, and straw, and it won't be able to impact but refine the gold, silver, and coast costly stones. And he says, and the fire will test, and the word test is different from the word tempt. The word test is often used for approval, for God wants to test somebody to show that they've got something good in there, and the quality of each person's work. Look at what happens when when our work gets tested. He says that uh, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burnt up, wood, hay, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved because he's a follower of Jesus. You'll be saved because of the blood of Jesus. You'll be saved because Jesus died for you. Even not only as one escaping through the flames. It's like, by your teeth. The truth is this. There is a reward and that reward should be the motivation why you and me should consider how we're investing this side of eternity. Friends, I don't know what type of view do you have about eternity. Some of us maybe think, you know, if I do good works, God will take me there. That is not true at all. But others went to the other extreme and says, well, God is just going to, you know, take me to heaven by grace. I don't need to do anything. And that is also the extreme that is not true. There gotta be a balanced view of the scripture that says you are saved by grace for good works and God will reward the good works. And look at the amazing reward. The award is first done by the greatest person in the universe is done at the biggest stage in eternity on the day of judgment and will be done for the longest period of time. You know, when somebody in footy, if you follow footy or whatever uh, whatever sport, at the last, the big stage, and they get rewarded the big premiership cup, guess what? There is another season next year. But with eternity, there is no more seasons. And the reward is given by your best daddy ever, who loves you like no other, who cares about you like no other, who sacrificed himself like no one else would. He's your dad, he's your creator, he's the one that did everything for you, and just his look. You know, when, when, when Gerges, the, the, the electrician, came into the, the, the apartment. Imagine if he looked around and I was sitting in the corner and says, oh, it was too hard, bro. I would have been embarrassed. His brother was my friend. What would have he said to his brother? And his brother was like year six or seven. And I worried about him. But the day will come when the one will knock and your work and my work will be revealed it's true if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I, I totally understand. If you, you don't believe in eternity, that's absolutely fine with you, with me. If you don't want to believe it, that's okay. That's your business. But for those of us who call Jesus our Savior and Lord, you have no option. <laughs> because you believe the entire scripture that says that to men it's given to die once and after that the judgment. You have no option. And friends, you can't ever underestimate the reality that we will be revealed, that our works will be tested, that what you've done on earth will be carried on with you. And you know what? You can go to God and say, you know what, God? You know, I did such a good job. I, I, I really, you know, I invested a little bit of time in in, in my TV programs. I can tell you a couple of stories. They're really funny. And and you know what? I, I look at the stuff that I built on earth, and God says, oh, where, where did it go? You know what would happen there? And, and and near your daddy in heaven, who wants the best reward for you. I'll be saying, if only you worked with the end in mind, you wouldn't have wasted your life. And I understand it was hard work. And I understand the hardship involved. And I know the heartache. You don't need to tell me about it. I was incarnate in flesh. I got all the hatred and, and all the betrayal and, and all the hardship. I, I I know it. I know it. And I, come on, Paul, come in, come Tell him, tell him too. You know, you, you experienced that too, didn't you? Come, 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 come. Tell him a thing or two. Oh, it was too hard. It was too far. Oh, they would reject you. Oh, I'm so sorry that that was the case. But hey, I cared about you and I wanted you to have the reward you know what God wouldn't need to explain that because when I call my dad on the phone and he's all the way in America and he's 80 something and he's got nothing to do with me in terms of like I don't get any benefit out of him but the day that what I do make him proud is priceless you know He doesn't need to give me anything. In fact, if he gave me something, I wouldn't take it. He's 80-something years old. I don't want anything that you have. I'm I'm, I'm so happy that you're here. Imagine. I know it's hard. I know it's hard work. I know there's hardship. I know there's heartache. But it's worth it. Look what he says to them. He finishes off that uh, that thing by giving them a warning. He says, do you not know that you yourself, all of you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you and that's the corporate church. He says, if anyone destroys God's temple through your division." through dismantling the work of God, uh, through living a disreputable life. If you destroy God's temple, be very careful. I'm a kind God. I love you deeply. But if you stuff around with my only option in the world, I want to tell you, you will risk yourself a punishment because God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred. He doesn't muck around with His church. He doesn't allow people to take over and to destroy what God is already building, You imagine, you paid a, a builder to build your house, and someone else comes on the side and tries to destroy what that builder is doing. They're not going to say, oh, thank you so much. You just destroyed what we did. Oh, we appreciate you. No, 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 no. And God doesn't do that business either. God says, listen, I endure. I'm patient. But ultimately, don't mess with my bride. Don't mess with my people. Today, maybe what should be rewarded gets rebuked. Maybe what should be rewarded gets rebuked. And maybe what should be rebuked, what we should say no to, is getting rewarded. And that can make you deflated. That can make you annoyed. That can make you frustrated. God, what's going on? Even in the church, the things that shouldn't go on, they're going on and being celebrated. And now what should go on is being rebuked and and, 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 and opposed. What's going on? I'm not going to play that business. And God says, hey, today your work may not be revealed. The quality of your work may not, or the quality of your labor may not be revealed today on this side of eternity. But will be rewarded on the day, the big day, the grand final day. The grand, grand, grand final day. (laughs) You could win whatever trophy you want in the preseason, but the grand final day is coming. And you have an opportunity to celebrate with your dad in heaven, and he doesn't want you to miss out. And what are we doing? It's almost like we're sitting at the sand. And, and, and our parents, like a little kid, say, why don't you go in and enjoy the wave? And say, no, 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 I'm enjoying that, playing in the mud. And he says, oh, if only you could get in the water, you would love it. And your daddy would say the same thing. Don't allow what people think of you today. Don't allow the, the, the failure and the successes. Don't allow the frustrations. Don't allow the things that you see today to hinder you from putting your best for God because nothing ever will take away that look that reward that pat that hug from your daddy on the day on the biggest stage giving you the, the the award that is unbelievably better than all the temporary awards you might ever get and it will last forever imagine that what would happen to the people in your workplace Imagine what will happen to your families. Imagine what will happen to us if you committed to build, not because there is success or failure, not because there's progress or lack of progress, not because somebody applauds you or approves you, not because somebody opposes you or, or, or subtly manipulates you. The idea is it is not about this life. It's not about what I'm going to get today. It's what I'm going to get on the day. And you and I, your heavenly Father, would love for us to invest our lives in what counts. Not what people count, but what He counts. So friends, I understand. I too get discouraged and disillusioned. And the temptation of quitting because of hard work. Hardship and heartache can be so real. But imagine, imagine if you could embrace hard work as just a joy to do for your master in heaven, the one who stays with you on earth to help you through it. Imagine if you could actually expect hardship and you say, you know what, it does not compare to the eternal glory. This is light affliction, does not compare to the eternal glory that awaits me. And you say, pile up the heartache because God will pile up the glory. And imagine if you take seriously the idea that your daddy in heaven wants your best, not your temporal best, but your eternal best. What would your life be like? I hope that my life, with an eternal perspective, Will say, Whatever that's back. I will give up, but I will get up one more time because my daddy in heaven is waiting for that day. Please be upstanding.